welcome everyone to Understanding the I Am That Is You podcast. Yay! Hey everybody, it's your girl Wynn Ruffin, and I pray all is well with everyone, and your hearts and minds are full of love, joy, and compassion for all God's children and all God's creation. And no matter the negative circumstances and chaotic conditions of the outer world, know that the peace of God dwells within all of us, our heaven on earth, when we fully accept, acknowledge, and spend quality time with our own mighty I Am Presence. Amen. Give thanks and praises for love and light. May y'all be loved. The Knowledge of God It is a well-known saying of the prophet that he who knows himself, knows God, that is, by contemplation of his own being and attributes, man arrives at some knowledge of God. But since many who contemplate themselves do not find God, it follows that there must be some special way of doing so. As a matter of fact, there are two methods of arriving at this knowledge, but one is so abstruse that it is not adapted to ordinary intelligences, and therefore is better left unexplained. The other method is as follows, when a man considers himself, he knows that there was a time when he was non-existent, as it is written in the Quran, does it not occur to man that there was a time when he was nothing. Further, he knows that he was made out of a drop of water in which there was neither intellect, nor hearing, sight, head, hands, feet, etc. From this it is obvious that, whatever degree of perfection he may have arrived at, he did not make himself, nor can he now make a single hair. How much more helpless then, was his condition when he was a mere drop of water? Thus, as we have seen in the first chapter, he finds in his own being reflected in miniature, so to speak, the power, wisdom and love of the Creator. If all the sages of the world were assembled, and their lives prolonged for an indefinite time, they could not effect any improvement in the construction of a single part of the body. For instance, in the adaptation of the front and side teeth to the mastication of food, and in the construction of the tongue, salivating glands, and the throat for its deglutition, we find a contrivance which cannot be improved upon. Similarly, whoever considers his hand, with its five fingers of unequal lengths, four of them with three joints and the thumb with only two, and the way in which it can be used for grasping, or for carrying, or for smiting, will frankly acknowledge that no amount of human wisdom could better it by altering the number and arrangement of the fingers, or in any other way. When a man further considers how his various wants of food, lodging, etc., are amply supplied from the storehouse of creation, he becomes aware that God's mercy is as great as his power and wisdom, as he has himself said, My mercy is greater than my wrath, and according to the prophet's saying, God is more tender to his servants than a mother to her suckling child. Thus, from his own creation man comes to know God's existence, from the wonders of his bodily frame, God's power and wisdom, and from the ample provision made for his various needs, God's love. In this way the knowledge of oneself becomes a key to the knowledge of God. Not only are man's attributes a reflection of God's attributes, but the mode of existence of man's soul affords some insight into God's mode of existence. That is to say, both God and the soul are invisible, indivisible, 
unconfined by space and time, and outside the categories of quantity and quality, nor can the ideas of shape, color, or size attach to them. People find it hard to form a conception of such realities as are devoid of quality and quantity, etc., but a similar difficulty attaches to the conception of our everyday feelings, such as anger, pain, pleasure, or love. They are thought concepts, and cannot be cognized by the senses, whereas quality, quantity, etc., are sense concepts. Just as the ear cannot take cognizance of color, nor the eye of sound, so, in conceiving of the ultimate realities, God and the soul, we find ourselves in a region in which sense concepts can bear no part. So much, however, we can see that, as God is ruler of the universe, and being himself beyond space and time, quantity and quality, governs things that are so conditioned, so the soul rules the body and its members, being itself invisible, indivisible, and unlocated in any special part. For how can the indivisible be located in that which is divisible? From all this we see how true is the saying of the prophet, God created man in his own likeness. And, as we arrive at some knowledge of God's essence and attributes from the contemplation of the soul's essence and attributes, so we come to understand God's method of working in government, and delegation of power to angelic forces, etc., by observing how each of us governs his own little kingdom. No one can understand a king but a king, therefore God has made each of us a king in miniature, so to speak, over a kingdom which is an infinitely reduced copy of his own. In the kingdom of man, God's throne is represented by the soul, the archangel by the heart, the chair by the brain, the tablet by the treasure chamber of thought. The soul, itself unlocated and indivisible, governs the body as God governs the universe. In short, each of us is entrusted with a little kingdom, and charged not to be careless in the administration of it. The Alchemy of Happiness, by Al Ghazali, translated by Claude Field, 1909 Isis Unveiled, Chapter 15 And now we will bid farewell to thaumatophobia and its advocates and consider thaumatomania under its multifarious aspects. In Volume 2, we intend to review the miracles of paganism and weigh the evidence in their favor in the same scales with Christian theology. There is a conflict not merely impending but already begun between science and theology, on the one hand, and spirit and its hoary science, magic, on the other. Something of the possibilities of the latter have already been displayed, but more is to come. The petty, mean world, for whose approving nod scientists and magistrates, priests and Christians compete, have begun their latter-day crusade by sentencing in the same year two innocent men, one in France, the other in London, in defiance of law and justice. Like the apostle of circumcision, they are ever ready to thrice deny an unpopular connection for fear of ostracism by their own fellows. The psychomantics and the psychophobists must soon meet in fierce conflict. The anxiety to have their phenomena investigated and supported by scientific authorities has given place with the former to a frigid indifference. As a natural result of so much prejudice and unfairness as have been exhibited, the respect for scientists is waning fast, and the reciprocal epithets bandied between the two parties are becoming far from complementary to either. Which of them is right and which wrong, time will soon show, and future generations understand. It is at least safe to prophesy that the ultimate thule of God's mysteries, and the key to them are to be sought elsewhere, than in the whirl of Avogadro's molecules. 
people who either judge superficially, or by reason of their natural impatience would gaze at the blazing sun before their eyes are well fitted to bear lamplight, are apt to complain of the exasperating obscurity of language which characterizes the works of the ancient Hermetists and their successors. They declare their philosophical treatises on magic incomprehensible. Over the first class we can afford to waste no time, the second, we would beg to moderate their anxiety, remembering those sayings of Espagnet, truth lies hid in obscurity, and philosophers never write more deceitfully than when plainly, nor ever more truly than when obscurely. Furthermore, there is a third class, whom it would compliment too much to say that they judge the subject at all. They simply denounce ex cathedra. The ancients they treat as dreamy fools, and though but physicists and thaumatophobic positivists, they commonly claim a monopoly of spiritual wisdom. We will select Irenaeus Philolitha to answer this latter class. In the world our writings shall prove a curious edged knife, to some they shall carve out dainties, but to others they shall only serve to cut their fingers, yet we are not to be blamed, for we do seriously admonish all who shall attempt this work, that they undertake it the highest piece of philosophy in nature, and though we write in English, yet our matter will be as hard as Greek to some who will think, nevertheless, that they understand as well, when they misconstrue our meaning most perversely. For is it imaginable that they who are fools in nature should be wise in books which are testimonies unto nature? The few elevated minds who interrogate nature instead of prescribing laws for her guidance, who do not limit her possibilities by the imperfections of their own powers, and who only disbelieve because they do not know, we would remind of that apothem of Narada, the ancient Hindu philosopher. Never utter these words, I do not know this, therefore it is false. One must study to know, know to understand, understand to judge. H. P. Blavatsky The End of Volume 1《For almost five years I have been waiting for this opportunity, and so my love has increased during that time, as has my desire to pour it forth to you for outer use. I trust you will not forget to use it and remember me in my offer for its release to the earth, and to you all. Applause. Thank you precious ones, with all my heart. Won't you be seated, please? Love must come from great cosmic heights at this time in the shape of the sacred fire, and as you have called this forth into outer physical conditions, we have watched your desire expand and your determination to call this forth ever increase through your conscious calls. Therefore, we are adding now to your calls the release of more of this power that must come into physical conditions, if they are to be purified and corrected. The angelic host are the bearers of the sacred fire as well as the great light rays from cosmic heights of life's tremendous activity. And so when mankind need us, we come and offer our love, for we know not but its service to life. And wherever we abide, we are clothed in its lights into which no discord can enter. Now we offer you the light of our love to enfold you, that you may have more power with which to render service, that you may have more protection against the shadows, and that you may have more illumination to reveal to you ahead of time, the things you will need to know. If you understood how wondrous are the activities and the service of the angelic host, you would want to remember them hourly. I bless you all for giving us as much recognition as you have. The more you recognize us, the more we will recognize you, and we will hold the balance thus in outer conditions, by our response to your call to us. Do not feel that we are far away. Do not feel that it takes time for us to come. 
Swifter than light is the quick descent of our presence at your call, from heights indescribable to the mind of man. And when you understand the oneness of God's life and the sacred fire of eternal love, you will know that its quick descent in response to your call, is practically instantaneous. Beloved Listening Angel You might wonder how we know of your call. Since we know of your life and your existence, and since we are one with your beloved I am presence, there is not a breath apart when that cosmic love moves into action to accomplish its mighty purpose of purifying the earth and raising all that is constructive into greater expansion and greater service and greater blessing to the universe around you. I have listened for a long while for the call from the hearts of the people of earth, I have listened a long time, and I have ever been ready to answer every call. And since the calls have come to us through the mighty Saint Germain's I am activities, we are ever ready to hold the guard about you and clothe you with everything that will enable you to serve him more wondrously in your outer world. And may I say to you, there is nothing the outer world requires quite so much at this time as our presence. Little does mankind understand the power we wield, the service we offer, and the love we can bestow. We have been denied and defied through the centuries, and yet we have been recognized and loved and worshipped through the centuries, and so, we ever seek through those who know of our reality to bring about the blessings that will enable the rest of mankind to be absolutely certain of our presence, accept our reality, and give us the cooperation by which we may help all. After all, everything that is constructive on earth today needs our guarding presence to protect it, and so those who are reaching to the constructive way of life are naturally the ones to whom we come first, and offer the best we have. Beloved Listening Angel